You ready? You ready? Here I'm we go. Ready. I'm going to spin the wheel of topics for the live stream. Hello, if you're watching. We are uh, just hanging out here on a Tuesday. Because uh, we're not doing LUP today. And so we're just hanging out with everybody. We have a Jitsi room open and our Mumble room is open if you'd like to hang out in the on-air channel with us. And uh, Takalak, uh, like the orange one, he's just joined the Mumble room. Hello, the orange one. How are you? Hello. Hello. So orange today. It's lovely. Yes. So we're going to uh, spin the wheel of topics and uh, it is open to discussion for everyone. Here we go. And the winner is dun, 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 the Ubuntu Wag Remix. What is this? Well, we got a piece of feedback. I think it was two weeks ago. Someone saying, hey, have you guys heard about this? Have you played with it? Do you know what's going on with it? As far as I understand, there's a bunch of sort of web sites. Uh, web Remix, yes. Sorry, there's a typo in there. Web Remix. Yes, I am familiar with this a little bit. And I, I, I just know it slightly and have dabbled in reading sort of the headlines on it but uh i think it would be interesting to dive in and see what it's all about it sounds like there's a small niche of people that are that are really getting around it i know there's some websites that are trying to tie into this too but I, that's the end basically of my knowledge in it hmm. hmm yeah so um it's got a fancy it's got kind of a fancy look to it it's uh i tried to find the name of the person who created it but it's kind of, you could think of it as like an alternative to Chrome OS, I suppose. Here, I think I have a screen cap so I can put it up on the, uh, yeah, there we go. So this is a 9 to 5 Linux article here. And you can kind of see it's got some some serious kind of, it's like, uh, I guess it's GNOME. It looks like GNOME shell to me. From what I understand, the underpinning is a bunch of web apps, right? Seems so, yeah. Seems that's their deal. But they're sort of, as far as I understand, optimized to be used in this way? I could definitely see it being appealing on a Chrome OS style machine. You know what I mean? I could see that. Uh, I was just looking at their uh, they got a they got a pretty simple website. Check this out. If it's at ubuntu-web.org and this is it. That's it. And this is like certified canonical stuff, right? I don't know about that. No, I don't think so. Well, would they let them use the name? Well, let's see. Would you want to be the company that goes around uh, playing whack-a-mole with... But haven't they done that in the past? I thought... Uh, I think they're hoping. So, like, basically, I think the way it kind of... I don't know for sure. But I think unofficially the way it kind of works is if you're working towards becoming an official flavor, I don't think they're going to raise this thing. Oh, I see. It. Okay. But if you're out there popping off and, you know, calling Shuttleworth a bully or something like that, well, then they might have a problem with it so here's a little video of their uh it's like micros look they got a little button there to install the office 365 you know it's funny they show that first well it's it does make a point doesn't it uh-huh it does make a point and then i guess they must add it to the launcher eh? yeah so now there it is in the launcher which is a slightly cut off on the stream version um yeah it's zoomed i i kind of i i actually think that's a pretty good demo really I don't really, for me personally, want this. Well, what's the use case here? Well, low, I, low operating devices, like low spec devices. That yeah, or even older laptops. I mean, if you think in terms of like Hadia's, Hadia's my wife's workload, uh, web apps are probably 90% of what she does use. Right. So for people that maybe do that, yeah, I, 
I hate web apps, so I I'm minimize I minimize my usage <laughs> as much as possible. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but I think it's a great project for that kind of use case, and it's probably more users like that than like you or I. Right. But <laughs> I thought at least it would be interesting to know it exists, wrap our head around a little bit, and maybe have a look every six months, see what they're sure. doing. Sure. Yeah, we should definitely check in. So Sab's asking in the chat room uh, if we have any thoughts on a product manager and um, hiring a gaming product manager. Um, I think it's a really interesting sign from Canonical. Yeah, we did talk about it briefly, I think, in the pre-show. Was it the pre-show of last Linux yeah. Unplugged on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've been talking about it since a little bit. And I don't know. I wonder if it's like... The description itself seems a little bit like it's written by two different departments. Yeah. And so I wonder if it's a small pilot project that they're doing to, to try to maybe... maybe. My, my first reaction was like a, an OEM partner probably wants to ship a gaming laptop or something. That would make sense. But how long would they be willing to wait for Canonical to put their stuff together? They, they will wait. Sometimes. Hello, Minimac. Uh, no, we're we're not recording. We were just sort of since we're live. We we're just, just been riffing. In, we went in the on-air channel, but uh, yeah. Uh, can we join? Yeah, the course. other ones that are in the lobby. Sure. Okay. Sure. So we will. All right. Oh, do they usually sit in the lobby then? Yeah, yeah. For the for the upload. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hey. Hello. 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 Hi guys. Hi. So. Uh, Brent made us a wheel of topics we were just kind of going through and talking about. <laughs> like a Wheel of Fortune style, Price is Right style wheel that mm -hmm. you spin. And and, then... and you can send in your suggestions for other things to add oh, to yeah. the wheel. Oh, sure. yeah. Does anybody want to add a... That's a great idea. Anybody have a suggestion for the topic, the wheel of topics? We should have put the gaming one on there. Oh, I heard a bling. What was that? That's somebody in the thing. With the, that's got always it, got it, got it, got whenever it. there's a sound, it's always Jitsi. <laughs> that you can count on, for sure. Uh, all right, so anybody in the chat room or anybody in the mumble room have a topic? Let's add it to the wheel. Yeah, I had my first experience with Pipewire now. Oh. I just added Pipewire to my Ubuntu installations, and all in all, I'm really happy. And I, as others suggested, when it comes to Bluetooth connections with headsets, a Pipewire is a huge, a yeah. huge improvement. You can't imagine. It's really good. Sound quality is better and, and connection problems are gone. So really good, really good. I think that right there is the reason it did so well in the Tuxies is a lot of people are doing virtual meetings now. And uh, my co-host, Mike, from Coda Radio, had uh, had a had a sales call where he had it got he you know and he's using pulse audio and it disconnected his bluetooth headset in the middle of the sales call and he's like that's it i'm not using this ever again i will only use the mac for my sales calls now. that's very embarrassing isn't it yeah um but there is one thing so if i go to cody i have somehow wonky sound so uh well it might just not be cody it is unstable but it is like whoa, it's it's really wonky for some reason. I don't know if it, if it is the PVR plugin I use or didn't have extensive testing now with movies I have on Cody because it I was at the second residence. I will do some tests here, but that's the only major flaw I see because Cody is a software that I use daily here, 
And if I have that problem also here on my top, I will stay in Posada, in fact. So here's what I've done is uh, I've added things that Linux does great and things that Linux sucks at that, to the topic. Oh, I like this. Topic. Yes. So we'll have to talk about This is that. like the daily conversation around here. Yeah. You got any other uh, hmm. any other suggestions? Any other suggest I? You know, I haven't, I haven't yeah. tried no, uh, I haven't tried Pipewire yet. And I wonder for those listening and myself included, what would be the easiest way to kind of jump in and play with it without necessarily committing? Um Fedora. Ah. Uh, of course I should have. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you if you have Ubuntu LTSs or even recent Ubuntu's, there is some three step procedure where you can in fact install Pipewire along with Pulse Audio. And then oh, it's like nice. two, three command where you can switch back to Pulse Audio. It's basically you install the components and then you turn off Pulse Audio with systemctl and mask the Pulse Audio driver. And then you enable and load the PyBio driver and that's all. So you can switch with three commands and then you're back. It sounds like you Pulse could Audio. even just script that into an on-off button. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, basically, nice. yes. But I, the thing is that you have system components that are loaded during it's, boot and then you have user sessions. So it could be that you have to log in, log out to make the PyBio session or the Pulse audio, se- uh, audio session working. I don't know if, if just uh, Pulse Audio-K does work and if there is something similar for PyBio. You know, Pulse-K is one of the best ways for me to get a Barry White going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I managed to get the video feed piped into the Jitsi room, so that's cool. I'm fascinated by how it's backwards for us. Yeah, you know why? Is because people are so used to looking in mirrors. That oh yeah, it throws them off. It's and the so, selfie look, so they flip it around, so Got that it. way our, our little human brains can deal with it. Hmm. But when you're displaying text, it sure is strange for us. But yeah, so if you go in the Jitsi room, you can hang out there too. If we're having problems with Mumble again, and I'll have the video feed. So we've got. I put. I was just putting the wheel of uh, topics up. Should I give it a spin? Yeah, I think you should. Go for it. All right, here we go. Let's see what we're going to talk about. The wheel of topics. Feel free to submit one. Giving it a spin now. All right, and we have landed on things Linux does great. And I'll now remove that from the list of possibilities, and we'll spin it again here in a moment. But things Linux does great. Do you want to start? I got a few. I, could go I have on. a, I could go I have a trolley answer for you. Mm. All right. What is it? Um, combined, use lots of power around the world. Oh! <laughs> All the cloud servers. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we better ban that Linux. Right. It's using too much it. power. Um <laughs> You know, I I really I still to this day just love that you can pick a Linux where you can have something that's just super quick to install, or you can have something that lets you define if a firewall launches, and if you have SSH, and you have all these kind of little configuration options you can do. And I find that nice because I do want to set all those things, and I like that there's distributions that give me that choice. Um, so I think we do really well at that. And then the other thing I think we're particularly good at, and in fact, I think we're way better than any of the commercial operating systems at is we are willing to revisit plumbing and re- and rewrite it like like system d like firewall d like pipewire like wayland like all the 
new backend compositor stuff that the different projects are having to write to support Wayland. Like we're willing to plumb that stuff again and retredge where Windows just builds on top of legacy code in that NT code base and layers and layers and layers and layers over it and builds simultaneous subsystems and all kinds of just crazy wonky ass legacy spaghetti code. And while we're not immune from it, I think we're way better about addressing that than Windows and also than Mac OS. I, I think that might be a subtle weakness only in that it's up to us to stay current all the time. Sure. So Although I really, wonder if there's a lifelong... If you're an AWS customer or you're consuming RHEL and deploying it every five, six, seven years, it's not that bad. Right. It's more like if you're sitting in the position where we're at. Yeah, I suppose we have a unique kind of outlook on this stuff. Strap in. Anybody in the mumble room have something that Linux is better at than all the other platforms? Running Cyrus. Well, yeah. No kidding, right? Yeah, I would throw in as a user updates, upgrades, and migration procedures. Right. I mean, we are really strong with that. I mean, I just migrated a system and... I can have a package list and my repository keys, copy them over and then do an installation procedure. And in like five minutes, I find myself with the same system I have on the other side, <laughs> just with a few commands and I need to upgrade learn that. procedures, normally, normally the same. So keep and also keeping your system clean. I mean, yeah. Uh, DNF and apt are really cool now with auto removing yeah. uh, packages that are not needed anymore and everything. So yeah. to maintain a system when it comes to packages and software, I mean we are far better than than at least Windows. I yeah. have no clue for Mac, uh, for my, for Macs, but I, I feel like it's better. I feel like you know I have this Neon install that's like from 2018, and it's still it runs just as good as it did the day I installed it. And same with my Archbox upstairs. It's from like 2018, 2017. And I don't feel like it has like registry creep or anything like that. It still runs really good. Also, Minimac, just kind of doubling down on what you said from like a desktop standpoint. Um, I know I mentioned this just recently, but when you boot up Windows or Mac, if you haven't used it for like a week plus, man, you just get slammed with all these background processes that are like checking for X and updating Y and indexing this and it's just like a shit show on your machine, especially the Mac. Like the Mac has gotten really bad about this because there's cloud photo stuff they got to do. And, all you know, it's just gotten really bad. On Linux, like worst case, you boot up a desktop that you haven't used in a week plus and it, for 45 seconds it's going to update the package cache. I disagree. Yeah. Uh, I have recently run into a bunch of times when – so I have – a. I have pretty bad internet from modern standards at my place. So I notice these things. Um, it's sort of like when Are you're you in the RV. Are you implying that I don't? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm implying that sometimes when I'm in the RV with you, we yeah. don't. Right? Yeah. I mean, there are times, but yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead. And so I've noticed a trend towards uh, the same thing that Mac and Windows are doing. So mm. if you look at unattended package upgrades, those sure. are enabled by default. And oh, they just you're using happen snaps. In the yeah. No, not only on snaps. Apt as well has unattended stuff going on oh. uh, at least on yeah, but not on any of my systems <laughs> that is that is combined with the software manager package mm -hmm. and you can right. disable that yeah i know you can disable you it but i'm suggesting yeah. that it's but i would say default. beyond that but i would say beyond that though i guess i still consider that not even really comparable because the difference there right is it's 
it's like a unified update mechanism versus every app you've ever installed has its own built-in updater. Fair enough. And that's just madness because there's no coordination. Like they're all competing for resources at the same time. Right. So I, you're right. Mm-hmm. You do have more automatic updates, especially with Snaps. Uh, and Snaps is a separate process. But like say you're on the Flatpak GNOME software train, right? That's all just getting updated by GNOME software or or the command line. That seems better to me. You could update Flatpak separately and stuff. But you're right. We do have more, especially with Snaps and Flatpaks, more automatic updates. But I don't, I mean, what I don't I, have any of my systems auto-update just because of bandwidth. I have to turn all that off. What, what I can tell you, I have a dual boot system on my laptop where from like every month or so I boot up Windows 10. And there I have my hard drive spinning for, without acceleration, for like 20 or 30 minutes. And I'm doing nothing. I'm just watching <laughs> the blinking LED oh, of man. my hard drive spinning. Yeah. And I have no clue. I have no clue what that thing is doing <laughs> because I have no information at all. I have nothing. It's just spinning and just blinking. And <laughs> and, and even though if you have the automatic the unattended upgrade running on Ubuntu, that takes like five minutes and then you get that pop-up windows. We have these updates and then it does the updates and then after let's say 10 minutes you're done and then your system runs cool again and your van is not vanning like hell and so we are much better when it comes to that one of my most frustrating experiences that happens regularly unless you know you turn it off is you know you're in the middle okay you're setting up for a show chris you're doing all this research you know it's like two hours before you're putting all the things together you're you're just in a flow and you're setting Mm -hmm. everything up sure and all of a sudden firefox says oh we can't load the pages anymore. You have to just reboot to apply all of the updates we did in the background. That's a thing. It's a thing. <clears throat> oh my god! I've run into that in a few on a few systems now, and it drives me insane because I'm the kind of person who just hyper focuses. So yeah. if it takes me a bit to get into something, but yeah. once I'm in there, I could spend hours right. and I forget. And you got You also have to off ramp. Yeah. And, yeah, and but then it's the, like this. Bam! No more that's, sort of that's creativity. Where it happened. No that's more. what happened to me this morning. Oh, it's the worst. I didn't get an off ramp. I'm just so like, you know boom, what I'm boom, talking about. Boom, then, boom, right? <laughs> what? No, I'm in the flow. I'm in the flow. No. Yeah, no, I totally. Wow, I gotta say, I I have not hit that with Firefox, but I can understand why because it's doing like some sort of update thing. And uh, but why can't they just let the what, uh, what the worst case you get with Chrome is it just gives you a little badge that says you need to restart the browser to get the update, but you don't have to restart. That is better. I would want it to suggest that mm-hmm. and not make it so that my browser that I tend to have like a hundred times. Is it not open. getting updated through app? Is it updating? Well, I wonder if it's updating the, uh, and someone might know this more than I do, but I wonder if it's updating all of the extensions. Oh. And because those have updated, they're kind of in, in this funny state now that. You know, when you load a new page, they're reaching to all the extensions. Like, Isn't that something else too? So. Like you can have applications that are doing self-updates in their components. That's what I mean. Yeah, It's right. getting a little out of hand. I it feel. is. It is. And getting... so you can turn that off. You know, you go about config, you can turn it off, but the can, default is Can we just on. mention this is another great reason why it's nice not to have all of your damn applications in a web browser? Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. agree with that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the overhead and uh, CPU usage and memory usage and stuff. Okay, so last call. Does anybody have a, um, like a, something Linux is great at compared to the other OSs before we spin the wheel again? I think modularity. That's a yeah. How did that not come up? I right? feel like you. That's get, what's made it such a success. Like mm-hmm. in the marketplace, is you can 
use the comp- yeah that's like a huge huge aspect <laughs> it seems maybe low end hardware for sure what was that one lower oh, end. sorry low end lower end hardware oh yeah that's sure. What all my stuff is. sure yeah right it is great for breathing life just look at the pie has anyone tried to run Windows on a Pi? Well, yeah, nobody does it, right? Because it's so awful. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, um, if I can say something, it's great for music. Hmm. All right. I, I think it's great for podcast production, so I'll, I'll get behind that. You mean for music production? Yeah, for music production. Um, because cause I've got, like, um, I'm using Ubuntu and uh, ru- running uh, um, Bitwig and... A host of other applications, and through the jack, um, through this jack subsystem for for audio, oh, we yeah. all work nicely together. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we can do with jack in our mixer is oh, unbelievable. It's nice. It's like this mixer is just an extension of our Linux box. It's incredible. And uh, <clears throat> if this mixer were ever die, I just buy another one. Even though it's years old now, I just buy an exact replacement because it's just. It's wild that I can I can I can route the audio in and outs in the mixer using jack. I can wire my mixer using jack and it's just and then the fact that Reaper also natively speaks jack. That's so nice. Any of the inputs and outputs we create in jack show up as audio inputs and outputs in Reaper. It's just <laughs> You couldn't even do it on other OS. It's what you were wishing about. Yeah. You yeah. just couldn't even do it on a Mac or on on Windows. Did you have this mixer before? Talking about mixers, um, I find um, that um, the the mixer of of Ardour oh is, yeah, okay, is best. I bet, I bet, I bet. I've heard it's really great for music. Yeah, I've never really given it a, a proper spin, but I should. All right, you know what time it is then. Uh, we have the Behringer X32, but Behringer makes a whole line, so if you don't need something as big as the X32, you could uh, like they have a twelve, an eight, I think. Which just is the amount of inputs. All right, let's spin the wheel. <clears throat> oh, almost went to Brent Stalker. Right. But we have Cube OS. So this originated from another piece of feedback that we got saying, hey, I think it might be really interesting to dive into cubes. And I, many years ago, read about cubes and the Callies and stuff when I was getting interested in that. And I sort of forget what it does. So and can oh, really? anybody like uh, oh, sure. refresh me on I'll that? I'll give you a super high level. I mean, because okay. I've, I've used it like a grand total of twice. So well, that's no, more than me. I'm no expert. But um, it is designed for the very super security paranoid. It uh, isolate different applications and aspects of your desktop into their own dedicated VMs. And then Cubes tries to make that all usable. So like Firefox would have its own VM. Um, and just total machine isolation so you don't have to worry about... Uh, you know, people stealing your datas. We should go look at their what their description is on their website. I don't know. Is anybody in the mumble room giving cubes a proper or Jitsi giving cubes a proper? You should show that to uh, to the Jitsi room there. What's that? This uh, yeah, the cube site. Sure. <clears throat> um, Edward Snowden says if you're serious about security, Cubes OS is the best OS available today. It's what I use. Does he really? Uh, I want to go ask him. Uh, so, the, yeah, they're using Zen underneath, Fedora, Debian, or Windows. I didn't I don't know about Windows. Oh, yeah, Windows VM, sure. Sure. Didn't he say that about Tails? Yeah, he may have changed his opinion. Maybe he uses both. 
All right, so what is Cubes OS? Well, there's the diagram for you, Brent. Oh, it's nice and simple. <clears throat> so you got an admin VM, you got your GUI VM, and then you got your template VMs to launch different, like, built-in distro options or applications. Cubes OS is a free open-source security-oriented operating system for a single-user desktop. <clears throat> it leverages the Zen-based virtualization to allow for the creation and management of isolated compartments called... Cubes. cubes. So that's where the name comes from. Got it. <clears throat> yeah. Cubes, which are implemented as virtual machines, have specific purposes, like a predefined set of, of one of many isolated applications for, like, personal use or project use. Maybe you need a, a specific network stack, something like that. Uh, it has what it calls natures. <laughs> I don't know about that. A full-fledged, stripped-down virtual machine. Uh, levels of trust from complete to non-existent in terms of trust. All the windows from the applications are from the VMs are displayed in a unified desktop environment with an unforgeable color coded window border. So the different security levels are easily identifiable. Oh, that's kind of nice, though. That is nice. Yeah. You know, so, you know, this is a dangerous one. And then they have down here at the bottom of the diagram, they have the different colors of trust. And so I wonder if there are default levels of trust that Cubes defines on these apps. For and some if of you, these, yeah, for bet. some reason, trust it more or less, you can you can mm -hmm. modify that default. I mean, imagine if you're like a Bitcoin billionaire, right? <clears throat> you're probably going to be pretty careful every time you open up that wallet. Have you heard of uh, Split GPG? Utilizes Split GPG to keep your private keys safe. Yeah, huh. Is it like a... Split GPG. I wonder if it's a GPG wallet of sorts. <clears throat> don't know. Let's go look. Split GPG implements a concept similar to having a smart card with your private GPG keys. Oh, that's cool. So it's like something you know, uh -huh. something you have kind of thing. It reminds me of those little devices. Uh, you have one upstairs in the closet kind of buried in there, I think. The YubiKey uh, kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, the YubiKeys. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was trying to think of. Uh -huh. This is software-based, I take it. Yeah, I guess so, huh? Yeah, that's Very interesting. Very interesting. So this, uh, so it says here that um, the idea is that one not-so-trusted domain, like, for example, one where Thunderbird is running, can delegate, delegate all of its crypto operations, such as decryption or encryption and signing, to another more trusted network-isolated domain. Are you following this? Trying. So Thunderbird, which is... Probably a risky app, right? Because it connects to a bunch of different places. And you're downloading emails that could mm -hmm. contain right, right, malicious right, right. URLs or whatever like that, right? <clears throat> so Thunderwords in your work email VM. Then when you go to use it to do a GPG operation, like say sign an email, which I wish we all did as a matter of practice to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, it will use this split GPG system to actually conduct the signing and cryptographic operations in a separate VM that is more isolated and more trusted. Which from the color, yeah, I can tell is trusted. They've even color-coded the little yeah. diagram there. That is nice. That is nice. Cool. I, I mean, that is really slick. You got to admit, that's a pretty clever solution to it that. It sounds well thought out. Yeah. And I wonder, I can't, I'm getting interested in wondering how <laughs> this might be to run. Like, I mean, this seems like your speed, to be honest with you. Okay, when I'm traveling, I just kind of like... Right. Have right. a USB key and I run this. Huh. Yeah, especially if you can get like a fast one. Fast USB key. Has anyone tried this? See, I think it's too much work. I think people worry it's too much work. 
But what they're attempting to do is is to make it built in and kind of work out of the box, right? That's the whole idea. You could build this yourself, I imagine, but that would be an well, undertaking. I mean, it's an amazing piece of engineering, but I think you have to be as smart as Edward Snowden to really run it correctly. <laughs> so I'll be just fine, is what you're saying? Yeah, I wonder if Silver Blue is a better in the in you know middle ground. Maybe I don't know. Uh, Minimac asked a good question, and that is, how do the app updates work? Like, do you update a whole VM to get Thunderbird up to date? Like, how does that? Like- yeah, that that was my thing because uh, you talked about uh, Brent talked about Firefox updating itself, which is right. a security problem. Sure is. So, are these VMs read only? So, if you boot that up, do you know that the applications that no one can change? In fact, that VM, and you only have a part of your home directory where you have all your data, or how does that work? I guess if you got really nitty-gritty, you could have almost like firewalls in each VM that only let through trusted uh, domains. This, this seems like an opportunity for you to like you know try this and let us know. You know? Oh, I see. I see. I'm just saying. I'd like to know these because I, I remember when, when it comes to security, in the early Linux days, we said, burn yourself a Nopic CD-ROM and boot yeah, that one over. Yeah, yeah, and right, like that, that, you know that yeah. there is no access to the applications. Nothing can That's be true. changed on the operating system. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, the uh, the good old days of Nopics. You're gonna you're gonna use QuickMU right now to to launch a Cubes VM <laughs> and just try to right? <laughs> right. How deep down can we go? Right. Um, <laughs> Anyways, that's a topic that I think is worth maybe it could be playing with. It's right. maybe more on the technical fun side of things and less on the useful everyday side yeah. of things. But I think worth keeping it would be interesting Brent visits Cube OS land and we find out should I go to Quebec to visit <laughs> Cubes <laughs> from from Quebec no you didn't have to do that Brent no but, it's but <laughs> I'm in Quebec City uh, all right you know oh you know what that music means wait before spinning do we have any other suggestions oh yeah anything else we should add to the wheel we can't let the wheel get empty well we could then the stream's done <laughs> You know, like when they went, we run out. So there's incentive. The more you suggest, the, the longer we're on. Yeah, if you got an idea for the wheel, for a topic for us to discuss, it could be about anything, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Chris's Ansible Adventure. <laughs> there's nothing there to talk about yet. <laughs> and we're done. Yeah, there it is. Although hopefully there will be one day. All right. We're going to spin it, but you can drop a you can drop a suggestion in the chat room or from Mumble or Jitsi. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, uh oh! Oh, oh, this no. is the deep dive. Oh no! <laughs> okay, Here Bitcoin node setup. So, let's see. Jeez, <laughs> give us the background. I'm deleting this one off this, right? So you can run your own Bitcoin node. What what that is is basically it's like a transaction processor, and you can have. It's a great way to kind of bypass having to pay heavy fees, but it also helps decentralize the Bitcoin network. But what I was coming across recently is a really neat open source project called Umbral. Uh, and Umbral, which is Git Umbral, Git, a, uh, which is spelled G-E-T-U-M-B-R-E-L.com. So am I saying that right? Probably. It is both a personal server deployment platform and a self-hosted Bitcoin wallet and Bitcoin node. So one of the things you can do is you install it. Uh, they distribute it as either a Raspberry Pi 
image or a setup script that is pretty much really only usable on Ubuntu or Debian. But when you get it set up, which is pretty easy and pretty quick, it, it, it creates a Docker environment that is using Nginx to do uh, proxying. And then inside that Docker environment, there's the master image of Umbral. And then it has an app store of open source free software where you can install things like Nextcloud or PhotoPrism or a bunch of really nice Bitcoin uh, data exploration tools, because as a node, it actually maintains a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain. And so you get to use some of the open source software to generate interesting analytics and charts and your own data on that. It also allows you to install things like um, a wallet, a web wallet. So you, you could create family wallets on here. You can generate reports from the blockchain. Uh, you can install Pi-hole, Home Assistant. It gives you access to all of that. And what it's doing in the background when you install these quote-unquote apps is it is deploying a container, and it's managing that container for you. So that's why you have to use their setup script and either use their Raspberry Pi image or use it on like an Ubuntu or Debian box. I tried it on a Tumbleweed system, and it, their script just makes too many assumptions about a Debian system and doesn't work. But once it's up and running, it's all basically Nginx and Docker. What was impressive to me was how it was linking all of those apps. Right, yeah. And it knew that you were running a node and it was pulling the information from there. So it seemed really well integrated from what we saw so far. Yeah, everything is set up to use your own node as the source of truth for information about the Bitcoin network. And that is really nice. And, and fast too. And they're all aware of like where its status is and stuff like that. But the other thing that's neat is there's a series of cryptocurrency wallets out there that allow you to define your own mm. Bitcoin node too. So nice. they'll use that for their transactions and whatnot. Uh, so it lets you deploy like a, a handful of really common self-hosted applications like Nextcloud uh, with a, a handful of probably some of the best Bitcoin web-based management tools. I saw Home Assistant on there. Yep. Home Assistant's on there. Uh, Matrix is on there. Element is on there. I don't think I saw a Bitwarden. Bitwarden, I think, is actually on there. Yeah. I think it might be, yeah. Seems like it should be. Yeah. So why do you think they decided to build sort of a VM deployment platform on top and then... Container deployment platform. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, and also to focus on these applications instead of using something that was already out there. Well, I think job one is to be a Bitcoin node, right? And so that's where it started. And then they realized because their environment was basically a series of containers that it would be pretty easy to just pull in these other containers. And they're just pulling in, like, the Home Assistant's projects. It's yeah, not like their own customers. Fair enough. It's not that much work. Yeah. I mean, it's probably some for the integration, but it's not a ton. And then the other thing it does is, if you want, it uh, connects to the Tor network and gives you your Tor URL. So if, so essentially, you could leave it behind a NAT, leave it behind a firewall, but still connect to it to see what's going on over Tor or over your LAN. And then they monetize the project by selling this... Um, really nice looking little all aluminum umbrals server with a little display on the front of it. And, um, I mean, it's a, if I had, you know, stupid money, I'd probably want one of these. Cause I tell you, I, I decided to take a look at this just this last couple of days and I'm very, very impressed by it. I it's, it's really a nice little package they have. So I'm sure their little server would be pretty great too. Oh, look at that too. You can get it in different colors. Oh, nice. That's kind of neat. How about an orange one? I'm having a hard time. Are those, those are just kind of graphics, right? They're not actually devices. 
Like it's mean? not a photo; it's a graphic that they made. I can't quite... probably. It's hard to tell. Uh, but now, now that I walk up to it, I've got some. Uh, let's call it photo investigational work for you. You ready? Sure. All right. So, this was taken on not a great camera, <laughs> and it I was, am zoomed in quite a bit. Too. I know that's fine with me, but mm. it also has some artifacts that give it away. Mm. So I will point them out for you. Okay. Uh, here we go. So to the left. yell a bit because I don't have a microphone here, but to the left, you see where my mouse is right here? This is a piece of dust on the sensor. Mm. So they're using a DSLR. And uh, there's another one just over here. See, it's like a smudge. They didn't even bother to take that out. Total amateurs. Another one there, another one there. So. There's also like a little dirty spot uh on the the actual unit right there under, under the umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a dirty, it's a dirty camera, dirty photo, dirty, dirty photo. But it's a real device, I think. So that's kind of cool. I, I wouldn't mind one of these if I was really into the whole, uh, you know, like having a family wallet and all that kind of stuff. I'd um, love a banana to figure out how big that thing is. <laughs> it does need a banana. I don't to know. <laughs> uh, sorry about the stream. I, you know, things broke. I guess I just. Uh, what happened? You seem all deflated now. I am, because you can put so much work into this kind of stuff, and then just something else breaks later. So you get one thing fixed, hmm. and then something else completely unrelated. Isn't that the theme of the day? And I just find it a little deflating. Um, Do you want to spin the wheel, then? Yeah, I think that'd make me feel better. All I think right. a different topic. Here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Things Linux sucks at. Hmm. Okay. Things Linux sucks at. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Brent? I'm tempted to say cohesion. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, consensus. Sucks at consensus. That's a difficult one, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's also... Partly it's strength. If there isn't consensus, a bunch of people go out and try to solve the same problem in different ways. And in the end, I think we end up with a better solution typically. Maybe not always. Yeah, it's a messier process. Yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, definitely. And I don't know, Mumble Room or Jitsi Room, do anybody have a, a suggestion for things Linux sucks at? What does Linux suck at? Transitions. Um, not a regular session. It's just true. It's it's getting there, but everything. If you compare it to say Apple and all the file system, it, they make a decision and it just seems to just go through basically your repeating basically your comments that you've had few on the whole right. Apple stuff. In like, like when you stop and you look at how long will it take before Mint is on Wayland and Pipewire? What's, oh, the, what's that timeline going <laughs> to look like? It's going to be a while. <laughs> Do you have any predictions? Mm, I think a couple of years minimum. Uh, sucks at supporting fingerprint readers. That is uh, often a problem. On my ThinkPad, I'm happy to report on my uh, ThinkPad X1. It has been very good now. So it is getting better there. Also, you can suggest a topic for the wheel. We're getting down to the final three topics. So if you want to put something on there to keep the stream going, suggest it in the chat room or in the Jitsi mumble room. Um. Things that Linux sucks at. Things that Linux sucks at. Video, uh, oh, 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 this drives me crazy. Multiple external monitors at different uh, resolutions and refresh rates. Have we not figured this out yet? It just stinks. Just stinks. Are there any distributions that are better at this than mm. others? 
No, there are window managers that are better at this. I just have to mention enlightenment, as always. I didn't see that coming. I didn't think you'd Nobody. see it. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I just tested that one. I was at my second residence, and they have a USB 2 monitor. Okay. Oh, sure. And, those, those are... And, and then I have to connect that one. I need a little script to make it run. Yeah. But uh, at, with GNOME 3, it doesn't run at all with Enlightenment. It just pops up. It pops up as second screen and you can uh, configure it easily and it remembers your configuration. It, it just works. That does sound nice. That does sound nice. I will have to eventually break down and give it a go. Uh, things that Linux sucks at. Things that Linux sucks at. Um, Video editing. I've got one. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, deep learning on NVIDIA cards. Oh, interesting. I, I thought that was actually I, I, kind I, of a big uh, area. You're just saying it's bad uh, at it. <laughs> well, once you get the NVIDIA card working, but then every update, you know, it, it just breaks. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's NVIDIA that's the problem there. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, GPUs I in general. Anything GPU with NVIDIA. Yeah. I mean, that's a big point. Like, why, where, why is it so terrible at GPUs? It's kind of not our fault, maybe? Well, here's where we... So here's where we get stuck a lot. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think a lot of times it's... There's a bigger ecosystem that's pushing people to use these tooling, and we're just not particularly good at it. Like, CUDA is an ecosystem. It is a whole freaking thing. It's one of NVIDIA's most, I think, savage moves in the industry is really building out dependency on CUDA because CUDA only works on NVIDIA cards. And so I think that's got to play a role, right? If you don't, if you don't have first class CUDA support, uh, then you're kind of SOL if your CUDA support is fragile, like the Mac has no CUDA support. And so you have entire industries that just avoid buying Macs because of that. It's that kind of, kind of an ecosystem. Well, I can say something to that. I mean, I'm, I'm a software developer and I've, I've done um, implemented CUDA numerous times. Um, the, the CUDA libraries um, per se on Linux work first class um, in any with any um, programming language I've used. It's just the the um, it's just the driver support and Nvidia's policy on pushing up um, um, pushing updates, <laughs> which just break everything. Mm. That is frustrating, isn't it? I I just set up my son's laptop on Fedora over the weekend and then did an update and it broke his NVIDIA driver and he had to leave and I just didn't get it working before he got, before he had to go. And so he has a, it's as a, you know, a nice Ryzen integrated GPU. So he's fine, but it's frustrating because it was working <laughs> and then it broke there at the end and I ran out of time to fix it. And I, I don't know. You know, and it's particularly rough on Fedora because uh, historically their NVIDIA GPU support's been bad. And so as a result, there's 50 different ways and a thousand different guides on how you should install the NVIDIA driver. And they're all very version specific. So and it's different with the later versions and it is the older versions, but there's so much momentum on that stuff. So that's maybe an area that Linux sucks at there is, and that's something the Linus tech tips videos touched on too, is like there's thousands of guides out there and most of them are no longer applicable, but they're yet they're still irrelevant in Google search. Um, 
And then there's also just like tons of blogs and like distro rundowns and shootouts that are just nonsensical and totally not based in reality. And that's a problem too. I have another one. Mm. Monetization. Yep. That's definitely an issue, which leads to developer burnout. It leads to people having to get other work and it leads to our best talent getting basically sucked into large corporations that can pay people. And then it's corporate controlled and centralized. Not to mention how precarious it is to have these projects be on the brink of failure, financial failure, and they're propping everything else up. Well, and think about how stressful that is on a person over 5, 10, 15 years to live that long in a financially precarious position, um, feeling like you have this community to support and people using your software uh, and a responsibility to that, plus your name, but also at the same time... um, you know, not getting enough to actually financially thrive and just to have to kind of barely get by. It, it can be rough on a person and uh, we don't have a solution for that. And it keeps biting us in the ass in sometimes really large ways like log for j and sometimes in really small ways that we don't even really realize. It's just sort of it just sort of gets priced into the desktop. feels like every six months we see the same story come up just with a different project. And Minimac, of course, there's a classic area where Linux is weaker at. Yeah, that's my general approach. So if people switch to Linux, the first thing they see is that they are missing apps. They have to adapt their workflow because they can't do things like they're used to do it. But after time, it becomes a strong part of Linux because you can adapt your workflow exactly the way you want to do it. Because on the Windows, normally you just have some apps and you combine these apps for your workflow and then really working over your workflow and adapting it to Linux becomes a strong part in the end. And then often you're faster and yeah. you're getting used to it and you you want to, you don't want to go back. Right. But it takes some time. It takes some time. You really have to dig into it for the first month and then you start smiling and you never stop smiling. Right. I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a downside I'm, to the Linux ecosystem itself because Let's say you reverse things and you were on Linux and you got a new job and you had to move to Windows, which has happened to me. Uh, it's 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 just as pain. I would argue it's more painful to try to find <laughs> yeah. the things yeah. you need in that ecosystem. Yeah, I was going to say that because I started using Windows for work after ten years. I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, I started uh, using Windows for work after ten years, and it's really hard on me. And I mean, you really need to like work yourself again. We need like a Windows support group. <laughs> you know, the dangerous thing about Windows is it like, like I have to really reinforce this with Dylan when he ever goes into the Windows side of his install. It's like you really need to be careful what you're downloading because he goes to like download stuff for Minecraft and three out of right. the four links are scams. Right. It's a like landmine. Everywhere. I forgot about that. That's bad. So, um, anyways, moving on. Now that we've got we've turned, we've come complete circle and gotten back to what Linux is good at. Let's spin the wheel again. I added a last minute topic. Did you really? Yeah. I hope this is the last one, but we'll see. It's why Linux will win it all at the end, like twenty years down the road. Well, okay. When that comes up, I'll get right into it. Yeah. That. All right. So, are we ready to spin it again? I feel ready. Okay. Here I, we go. I want to mention one huh? thing? Sure. Uh, one overarching theme is that Linux just sucks at running proprietary software in general. 
Yeah. Cause you were complaining about people not being able to use certain applications or the NVIDIA proprietary drivers terrible. That kind of seemed to be the overarching theme is Linux yep. isn't great at running proprietary software. It's true, but that's not always true. Like Reaper's running just fine. Yeah. Some user land stuff. It's better in the user land. The deeper into the stack it goes, Fair enough. the more trouble it causes. All right, here we go. Oh, I'm going to spin it again. I want to save that one for the end. I want to end on a happy note. I want to have, I'm, I'm stacking the deck. Here we go. Here we go. Come on, keep it going. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Endless OS. You're looking at me like, why did we add this? And no, no, I mean, I'm sure right. people have written in and asked, right? Well, uh, yes, and also it inspired me last time when we were talking flat packs, And uh, just to hear, was it William? Was his name? I forget now. But he was running, he's the uh, software, the head software guy at Endless. Do you remember oh, okay. we had an interview yeah, yeah. with him and mm -hmm. he was saying, oh, I'm running 174. Yep. yep. I read a lot about Endless, but maybe like four years ago. And it sounds like they've done some interesting technological choices to help them achieve their goals. And it just got me interested. Like, I didn't expect them to be so, hmm, front of the technology stack maybe is hmm. a way to put it. Uh, but it sounds like it's really working for them. So I just got really curious into how far they've come in some of what they're trying to do. And I've known some people who've known some people who've worked there. And I've said some really nice things. So I thought, hey, let's dig in. I know I've noticed in like the uh, GNOME and GTK commits that there's almost always several endless staff, one or two endless members. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, they're pretty active contributors. Nice. They seem to get a. They seem to be getting fairly along fairly well with uh, GNOME developers. That's an achievement. Yep, and um, I've never really gone more than fifteen minutes, maybe twenty minutes with it. Um, when they first came along, they were first very hardware focused. Okay. And now they've kind of pivoted to the software. And I think that's a good idea. Um, when I first interviewed them, they were actually really kind of pitching at schools and prisons. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I kind of feel like now that they've, now that they've had this new focus for about a year, it's probably time for a revisit. But what, what I can't, what I can't suss out is if there's interest in the audience or not. I can't tell. I'm not sure it's focused on right. us right. as an audience. And though I wondered, could it be focused on some of our children, for instance? So I recommended to my co-host on Coda Radio, Mike, that you know he was looking for a Linux OS for his kid. And I said, well, if you're not going to go with the desktop OS that you use, you know, which is Pop, then I think maybe you should consider Endless. I'd say my first choice would be go deploy whatever OS you're comfortable using and use the most often. And then my second would be something like Endless or another OS that's that's really kind of curated like this. So I think it's it's another one, like, along with Cubes, we should really give it a go. You know, back. I, I remember, I'm remembering now when I was looking up brunch guests um, that they, now I, I don't want to get this too wrong, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe we could, someone can have a look. I remember that there was a project that was focused on sharing coding experiences with, um, kids, sometimes even toddlers, mm. and it was connected to Endless. And, sure, yeah, there's uh, a bunch of tools it ships with like that. Yeah, I would imagine yeah. there's a nice partnership there, and that makes a lot of sense, because like one of the first images they have on their website is a bunch of kids looking at a laptop, right. so that sort of makes sense to me. Look at uh, their download images here. Desktop computer, virtual machine, Raspberry Pi, Pinebook Pro. 
That's what I mean. It seems like they're I'd love really to tied into what's going on. There's a Pinebook Pro behind you. We could put it on. Oh, hello. We should try it. We should try it on the Pinebook Pro. All right. You know, it needs a good job. Pinebook Pro is almost in that sweet spot for me, but not quite, you know. Uh, any other thoughts on Endless from anybody in the uh, virtual lugs before we go? Virtual One lug thing lugs? that might not make it great for children is that computing is really social for them. That's true. I mean, you could you could put it on the internet, right? You could get it. You're thinking like applications or games? What, what, what are your applications thoughts? and games like I moved in with my significant other who has two kids. I'm like, oh, I'll switch the kids to Linux. And then I realized all they do is play games that run terribly on Linux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And of course, like uh, Microsoft's a big part of that. I mean, they like Bedrock is so you can you there. There was a way to get it running on um, Linux, but the maintainer of the flat pack for Bedrock Edition just bailed, just noped out. So that's gone now. And they pulled it from Flathub. What is it? Well, I'm just browsing their website here while you're talking, and I found some cool stuff. What is but, it? Uh, you closed the website. Oh, I did. So, I was going to move um, on. Uh, they they also have this experiment that is exactly what I was talking about called the Hack Computer. And it's both building the hardware and the software. So they have, it sounds like what they call an endless key. Hack is included within the new Endless Key USB project. Offline kids can plug in the key and they're ready to play Hack. So Hack, I think, is like a gamified version of learning. Is, is this what you're talking about? I th think it might be. Um, on their, so Hack so is you can included do, as in the Endless Key product. The complete Hack experience now comes on the new Endless Key USB. So offline kids can plug in and they're ready to play Hack. Like there's hack-computer uh, or try-hack-computer. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Is I'm right now at hack-computer.com. Yeah, okay. huh. What is hack? Go to try.hack-computer.com. Try, okay, what now? Try what? Okay. dot, okay. Okay. and then just the URL, URL you're at. Try dot. So there's, instead of www? Yeah. Try dot hack dot compu dash computer. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Then what? Just then, that? Ju then just nothing. Oh, okay. Of course. And survey says load. Oh, there it goes. What are these NFTs? <laughs> How'd you know? <laughs> what am I looking at? Like, I, don't, I don't know. It says like pick a dimension to explore. And so just, I don't know. Sure looks like you got okay, processing, sidetrack, web tech, engineering, endless OS. I'm going to pick terminal. I'm going to pick endless OS. Who we got there? Who is that? Who's coming in? Is right that now? Nancy? It might have been Hack Computer. This is too much, man. I'm already bored. All right. Well, it's not targeted at you, clearly. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, switched. Uh, Hack Laptop, the laptop that allows kids ages 10 plus to learn to code by hacking their own device. A high performance, award winning laptop. The Hack utilizes a 14 inch Asus E4060MA laptop to deliver the world's only completely hackable computer. Note oh. that this computer must be purchased through the hack to access the hack experience. Okay, this is more disappointing than I thought. It's just a bunch of links to a bunch of projects. Yeah. So. They make it look good, though, right? Well, they had me. They, they definitely had me. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got, a good, they got a good look going. I think they're worth taking more seriously or visit, spending more time with. Yeah, I agree. I just haven't got a good, strong sense of the audience's interest, but maybe they'll let us know. Any other Endless OS thoughts before we uh, spin the wheel? Well, the Endless Key... That is just um, a USB drive that you can plug in any computer. That's sort of look like. Yeah. 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 So, and play hack. 
All right. Okay. All right. MLSOS.org slash key. <laughs> I mean, it's a 128 gig USB drive. And there's something there. Hey, maybe it's high quality and it's branded. It says high quality in the description. How'd you know? Well, I had a sense, man. I had a sense. All right. Just a few more topics on the uh, wheel of topics today. And then our stream's going to be over. So what are the options before you turn it? Uh, Brent's Docker Jellyfin Beginnings. Oh, here we go. Cloud Virtual Desktops. And why Linux will win it all in 20 years. You ready? This is going to be fun. Spinning. I wanted to save that one, but we'll just do it now. Because there's just no avoiding it. There's no avoiding it. Why Linux will win it all. You know, this just proves you you can't control the wheel. I think the wheel's rigged. You can't control the wheel. All right, so why Linux will win it all in 20 years. What do you think? What is it about Linux... That is that means it's going to make it so it'll win it all in twenty years. What is it? Okay, well I see. It is also stubborn. We won't change. It will always exist. There's that right. There's no commercial interest. It's going to be like, well, we didn't make enough in the Linux division this year. That's never going to happen. So when all the economies crash, it'll still be around. That's what you're saying. I've always felt like over time companies will focus on something else. Their attention will be diverted, and like things like Windows and Mac OS. Will be around for a while, but not forever. They'll be these companies will eventually do something else. Like Nintendo used to be a trading card company a hundred years ago, right? And Linux will be here when those companies decide they're leaving the market, and it'll just be better than ever whenever that happens. Uh, I think it's sort of like how in the very early days, in the late seventies, in the early eighties, they already had TCP/IP figured out. It was already known, but you still had IPX, you had NetBuoy, you had Apple Talk, you had all these other standards and protocols that came out that were not TCP IP. They were corporate owned and they survived for a while. Like there were a many IPX networks and a lot of Apple Talk networks and some NetBuoy networks, unfortunately. And the reality is TCP IP ate it all. Eventually, those vendors had other strategies. They wanted to participate in the internet their corporate strategies changed and all of a sudden they needed networking protocols that could route, that could go out to the public internet. And so they transitioned from having their interest in these proprietary protocols to using the open standard that is TCP IP. And I think that same kind of just, it just makes business sense kind of thinking will eventually cause Linux to consume everything. It is the Borg. Resistance is futile. You can you can delay it, but it will come for you. I love that. That's well, my thoughts. It feels like we're on a trajectory, and you can kind of see it trending quite heavily in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, if you're going to predict what's going to happen in the next 20 years, you kind of got to look at what's happened in the last 20 years. Sure. So I know on the server side of things, it's gone fairly well, but like 20 years in the desktop space... A heck of a lot has changed. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of as markets change, Linux gets used in a spot where it wasn't used previously. So um, if you look at the world before Android, it was all kinds of different OSs and real-time OSs and attempts at that. And there was all kinds of different solutions for that. Some made by the chip makers themselves, some that were made by community some that were made by that hardware manufacturer and just used specifically on their own devices. 
And then there's the post-Android world and TiVo world where you just start with your device using Linux. That's the base operating system because when you use Linux, the kernel, you're also going to get networking. You're going to get device driver support. You're going to get hardware platform support, SOC support. You're going to get all these all these things now that it takes to run a tech stack that you would have to implement yourself, that it just becomes a literal impossibility. Um, so you just use Linux now and you build on top of that. And that's sort of, that wasn't true 11 years ago, and now it's a universal truth. And I think that is what will happen in other markets and other areas, just as it is that same exact thing is what happened on the server. Uh, you know, when I started in the industry, Linux was looked at as a risk. It was considered an IP risk. The people that built Linux were freeloaders, hippies that likely weren't going to stick around with anything. These distros were fly-by-nights that could disappear on you at any moment. Uh, you would be silly to deploy anything but something like Windows or Solaris. Um, and, and it was considered uh, an amateur thing that you would never use on a server. Now it's the de facto server operating system around the world, so much so that even companies like Microsoft and Apple deploy it themselves in their own servers. So it just shows you how things can change over time. And I imagine the desktop, the reason why it hasn't, the reason why it hasn't conquered the desktop is because the market doesn't need it to right now. The business interests don't need it to like, it's not until businesses acting in their own self interest align with using Linux. Like look what happened with Microsoft and their adoption of open source. It was Linux is a cancer until all of a sudden they realized, well, hold, hold on. We want to we want to be big in the cloud and we want to be big with developers. Now we love Linux. Now look at all this stuff we're open sourcing. Now our terminals open source. Now we're doing this in open source. Look at our subsystem, right? It's like a, it's not it's not a, it wasn't an ideological ideological shift, it was a business shift that that caused the adoption. Yeah, we've talked some in the past and even I think in predictions a few years ago about Windows running Linux under the hood and that feels to me like it is a real possibility and could make business sense for them in some yeah, ways. Especially if it was basically a thin client platform that connected you to a cloud desktop. Sure. That they run on Azure. Sure. And sure. they charge your business $5 a month for you to get access to it or $10 a month. That'd be an interesting place for them to actually test that without needing to drop Windows right away, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Does anybody else have a reason why Linux will win it all in 20 years? The switch to services revenue. So you can't make money selling an operating system anymore. So why would you spend all the man hours right. to maintain it? So if Windows could make that compatibility layer, why wouldn't they just maintain or help maintain Linux rather than have to maintain right. the 30 years of technical debt In that fact, is Microsoft Windows? Flip that around for a moment. Imagine that Apple or Microsoft hasn't invested 35 years in a desktop platform and they were launching as a business today and they wanted to get into Azure or iCloud or services. Apple wanted to be a TV company and a phone company. Would they even fucking bother? <laughs> no, that was it'd be, crazy. It'd be crazy, right? Yeah. The only reason you would actually, yeah, you might, you might roll your own kind of distro because you need some things that it doesn't provide, but you would but end no, up with a lot you? more things like Amazon Linux. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. Minimac, you think maybe it won't actually make it to the 20 year milestone it sounds like. Well, the question is will there be Linux in 20 years? Will there be a successor like a running hurt kernel 
So I think Linux already won in the regard that the new system and open source and projects around that have Linux opened the way to these and these will survive. But maybe we will have another kernel, a different kernel, just mm. a different base. And we will be, I mean, open source and, and Linux using open source has changed the world. Now, I can live with another kernel base, but the open source environment, the new system, everything like that, that's the most important thing. And that's what I depend on and that will survive, I think. And so I say Linux has already won in some regard. Nice. It's true. It's uh, Now we just got to sit back and watch it all happen. All right. Two more topics on the wheel. You ready, Brent? Should we spin it? I think I'm ready. Go for it. That sounds different. Oh, okay. You touched on this just briefly here with Microsoft. I did. This is kind of perfect, isn't it? So cloud virtual desktops. Are they actually useful? That's the real question. So I got I got kind of curious about this maybe a month ago. If you remember, there was a slight period of time there where my internet was just total crap. Mm -hmm. It's gotten slightly better, and I don't know why. And I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> the moon. Right? <laughs> That's what I blame it on. <laughs> it's tides or something. Yeah. How do that work? How do they work? <laughs> <laughs> and so I know this on the surface may sound like a non-solution for me because, like, if you have bad internet, a cloud-hosted desktop doesn't make any sense. Mm. But... I have some competing priorities here because for me, I don't, I don't really have any super performant computers that I'm willing to use on a daily basis. Uh, I have a few laptops that I've bought and uh, probably the newest one is an X250. Um, but it's kind of loud. I, I don't like that. And so and it's uh, not necessarily the best time to pick up new hardware either. No, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. so there's, I got really curious about offloading hardware expenses uh, onto, this is basically a subscription hardware service, really, right. if you look at it that way. Mm -hmm. But I wondered, I, I saw a few other resources talking about, oh yeah, this is great. Like you can totally do this. It's good for people who don't have that much money to put on hardware, et cetera, et cetera. But I just wondered, is this more of a toy and not something people can actually use? You know, someone like me, like maybe corporate stuff it makes a lot of sense because they can orchestrate this in a really seamless way but for someone like me who just sort of wants to get some things done um does it make any sense right yeah and because there are some clear advantages one of them is price i think well and the other thing that's always lovely about them is they're generally in a data center, so they yeah. have just like a screaming internet connection. Well, okay, fair enough. That's that's why it got interesting to me in the first place. It was like maybe I could just download yeah. or upload, you know, my flax from there and right. uh, just and blast just it. have them. Yeah. yeah. Then you would never complain to me about my drop connections and such. But see, that's where they're also very weak is yeah. I think the the number one issue is latency in the remote screen updates. If they've they've gotten it really good, but you know, it's still not the same. Yeah. And then, and especially when you're looking at like a waveform that's scrolling across the screen, that's an area <laughs> where it's going to be particularly bad. Or at. your mouse. I know you're sensitive with your mouse. Sure. Yeah. But then the other thing is, is like, um, very few of them are going to come back and like take a local USB device and bring it forward to a cloud connection. Some of them will, but those are the nicer, more expensive ones. Generally they're using windows. But that seems essential to me. Like if you couldn't plug in a keyboard or like, 
okay, maybe a keyboard's a bad example, but something like an audio device, like, yeah, maybe it's just our audience. I I think think we plug in, we try a lot of things that most users don't, but that's also the only demographic I could see who's been willing to try this. I feel like it's getting worked out now. Um, I think in a way, like these cloud gaming services are, Uh. are doing us a solid in that they're sorting out, how do I bring a USB input device forward in lo- in a low latency way? And how do I get this really high performant application down to them as fast as possible with the lowest latency? And if I could use um, the NVIDIA GeForce streaming service just to get a desktop, I probably would. So, you know, they're legitimately on the GeForce Now streaming service. They're spinning up Windows VMs loading steam with like or they have a, like a windows vm image with steam pre-installed but sometimes there's updates that need to be applied then you log into your steam account it like it brings you in you log into steam and then it downloads the freaking game in their data center nice installs it on that vm they've just created and then launches the game so you can see how there are clearly some advantages and it's very tempting but then there are these subtle roadblocks that yeah. i think we need to get over before that's even useful i wish they would just i wish they would sell you a desktop service um, they've built it for gaming, but they clearly could deliver a desktop experience because you're often in a desktop experience until the game launches. Um, and I'd love, like, we wanted to figure out a way to run OBS in the cloud. Yeah, right. So we all just connect into that. I thought that'd be really great. Uh, all right, I see we have a few takes in there. Minimac, I wanted to let you jump in first, and then we'll get to Rob and then Gerald. So go ahead, Minimac. Yeah, I, I think it. Don't have anything to add. You just nailed it. Oh, okay. I mean, I mentioned Sorry. cloud gaming. I mentioned cloud gaming. I think this is the step. If you have cloud gaming, you can have a virtual desktop and everything and just have a an application on your system that loads in that cloud instance and then you can use your computer in a cloud. Yeah, that would be great. Um, Gerald, did you want to jump in on, uh, oh, development. Yeah. Collaborative development in the cloud. That's a good idea. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, so I lead a software development um, team at the company, and um, we we so so for onboarding new developers, it always takes like ages to till they have their their IDE stuff set up and so on. Sure. So I was I was really like thinking like if if we could have um if we could just say okay we do our business in in our own cloud right. Um, so here's our standardized desktop. Um, here's you work on a thin cl- client thing, and what and and um, your IDE is in the desktop, and it's already auto configured. Anything mm. the build system is auto configured. Right. That would be like great. Like I I looked into something like um I, I don't know, you mentioned it once on last um. Uh, guacamole. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Pretty much for I we uh, where I work, um, but as possibly sort of like DevOps team to build it. Uh, we have we because of a bunch of requirements and networking issues that we can't install stuff on our own laptops. Uh, we yeah have base images in AWS. That basically spin up a full dev environment, a um, bit of Gracoli magic. So you thin client in, and you can get a developer from running within an hour, mm. generally. Mm. And yeah, everything's set up for them, the ES code, all the plugins that we require, 
um, browsers with all the accessibility plugins that we need to do accessibility testing. There's quite a lot, otherwise it, it would have taken day, like each developer days to set up the various Docker configuration stuff that's needed sure. because it's all microservices. The fact we can just do it in base images, use Guacamole as a thin client. It has its issues. It's not the most performant. I would love it to get more performant, <laughs> but it's better than what <laughs> nothing or yeah, yeah. some yeah. crazy three hot process of RDP connections, which is just insane. Well, it sounds like this is solving an actual problem. I was just trying to dream up problems that this could solve, but this is one. <laughs> You bet it's a problem. Thanks for your input. <laughs> um, all right, we got one left on the wheel. Should we do it? I mean, we. Sh- uh, you got to spin it though, right? Yeah, I'll spin it. Okay. I mean, it's only one topic, so we know where it's going to land. It, it's but- not going to make any sound, I don't think, because there's no divider. Well, let's find out. Oh, beep, 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 it doesn't. Beep, You're right. Beep, it's beep, they actually beep, they actually wrote that in. Beep. 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 Nicely done. Ooh. <laughs> All right, our last topic on the wheel is Brent's Docker Jellyfin Beginnings. Jellyfin Beginnings, huh, Brent? Well, here we go. And now the wheel is empty, so this is our last topic. So you're jumping into Jellyfin. Well, I, I would more say I've jumped. Oh. And so a few weeks ago, if you all remember, we did a Jellyfin kind of mm-hmm. dive, a little revisit, bit of dive, revisit, dive, yep. and it had, I don't, I don't know. We all walked away fairly impressed. I know. Even Alex was like, oh, he yeah. tried to convince Kat to... Uh, <laughs> yeah. It didn't go so well. No. <laughs> um, and uh, so I got inspired by that. You you let me kind of tap into the Jellyfin server you had here mm-hmm. uh, in the studio, yeah. which was fun. Um, but then I thought, hmm. So I've never set up Plex. I've played with Cody a little bit over the years. Um, but I've never been organized enough to bring all my media into one place and to have it hosted even locally uh, mm-hmm. in that way. But so I thought, what are you running it on? Yeah, that's where it gets interesting, and I okay. thought you'd, you'd like this okay. adventure. <laughs> All right. So what has also happened was that uh, over the last few years, I've been lucky enough to find a great many ThinkPads at the local landfill sure. where I was living. So, go, so you've adopted some ThinkPads. You have mm-hmm. a few stray ThinkPads. When I have some that I've used for years that I are really beloved to me and that I just have upgraded, and now I'm like, well, what the heck do I do with this thing? So mm-hmm. what I have... My trajectory is, so I've got my parents who live in a different city. I've got my brother who lives on the same property as me, but in a different building, right? Mm -hmm. And I've got my place, which has pretty bad internet. Um, So what I'm doing is I'm building three systems that are pretty similar, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, Building three systems using old laptops. Mm, So one of them is a T61 which is very ancient. Mm-hmm. The other one's an X440 where the screen's broken. And the one I'm using is an X220 with a dock. So lots hmm. of USB inputs. And do they all need storage? Do they all have same The, the same idea is that, Just for instance, airplanes. I, I know, that's a loud one. Yeah. Don't He's, they know what we're doing well, come here? come on. Gosh. I mean, we're, we're down here podcasting. I know. We didn't even tell them the schedule changed, and then they're just... Um, so the idea is most of these people have USB drives, you know, that they've collected over the years, a whole bunch of different sizes, different ones, and most of them are USB compatible, hardly any internal drives. I've got probably the most out of all of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I wanted to implement a solution that I could, 
uh, test on my own and distribute to my parents and my brother, for instance, or anybody else who wants to, uh, in a fairly straightforward way that, you know, whatever's running at my place is so similar over there that I don't need to relearn like the topography and Mm -hmm. all of that topology. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is this crazy to plug in a whole bunch of USB drives into like a quasi laptop Franken server? And to have it do some cool things? I guess it depends on your tolerance for outages. I think uh, it's high. Okay. Because. Well, then no. <laughs> I say it's not crazy. Uh, I, if, I could, if I could wave a magic wand and do it one way only, it would be to uh, probably like lay down Ethernet or something between you and your brother's place and then have yeah. all of it, in, at least in the case of those two, have all of it pooled in one spot. So you have one large set of disks and only one system to manage instead of two. Yeah, I hear you. Currently the connection between us is, uh, he's got a, just a home router at his place that controls also the internet coming in. And, uh, I think it's a ubiquity, like very directional Wi-Fi that just pointed at my cabin Mm. and it's pretty slow Mm. and unreliable. I'll say, Mm. So yeah, Ethernet somehow would be nice, but that requires yeah. a hundred foot ditch. I know? mean, really, you both are going to want. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's that kind of connection, you're probably going to want them on your ends, so that way you don't have buffering and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, now that it's not crazy, it would be nice to have a way to manage all of it centrally. That's where things like mm-hmm. that's where it'd be nice to have a have a good skill set in Ansible, but it's which I'm willing to learn. So this is also it's a lot. Of, that's a like that's like saying that's like saying you got to learn like a whole other category before you can start even doing something mm-hmm. in another category. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a mm-hmm. big dependency, not necessarily a bad one, but so that's the background. That's the hardware. Okay. And so the idea over Christmas I thought was, well, I'm just going to jump into Jellyfin. And I know my brother and his wife, they watch a ton of TV. They got a, like a giant pile of DVDs that they love and never watch. <laughs> right. You know how that is. And because of the bad internet to that place sometimes, um, streaming services just... Are not really great. No, yeah. mm-hmm. that's it. You know, right. like 80% of the time it's fine. Yeah. But there's sometimes it's not. Um, so I also took it as an opportunity to jump into Docker, which I had never done. And I heard, you know, a few people um, in our chat room over the last several episodes have said that they haven't dove in either. Hmm. And so I thought, well, Jellyfin's actually a nice... Mm-hmm low stakes way to try to kind yeah. of try stuff, right? That's a good way to start. And um, I didn't quite figure out Docker Compose yet, so mm. maybe you'll have to give me a once over. Sure. But it was fun. I had so much fun. And I have to say uh, it worked really well. And so now Jellyfin's up and running. Nice. Which is very cool. Oh, good. Um, mostly at my brother's place because, I don't know, we watch most of the content over there. mm uh, I say, you know, the nice thing about doing it in Docker Compose is that when you revisit it in three to a three months to a year, you have this readable file that tells you, oh, this is where I store the config at. This is where the application data is at. And these are the networking ports it use. It's just, uh, it's a really readable YAML. It's really a readable format. Uh, it's just also very anal about how you format it. Yeah. Well, I'm using, I guess it's called the Docker command line. 
Mm-hmm. And so you're just running a script and I, mm-hmm. it looks almost as readable to me as all the same options, just slightly different formatting from what I can tell. I mean, it's a simple application yeah. and I'm not doing anything fancy with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be really nice too. So the, I think we're, we're, when you're talking just one application, it, I don't think it really matters. Okay. You know, like if you have a, a like a stack of applications, like um, maybe Jellyfin and a Usenet or torrent downloader or a audiobook manager or um, something like uh, something I like a lot is I haven't used it. Uh, what is it called? Um, I haven't used the fork of it, but the project was called Subsonic. Uh, but there's several forks of it now. And it's essentially like a self-hosted um, music library, media library, where you can have your music and your playlists and podcasts and, and internet radio streams and stuff like that. And everybody can have their own on there. And so it's kind of nice when you've got, you know, just a small LAN and people want to have a centralized jukebox, stuff like that. Uh, when you start having multiple applications, it's nice to it's nice to manage all that in a compose file because um, it acts as both documentation but also... It's a method to update them and stop them and start them. Got it. Got it. All that kind of stuff. So it's nice in that way. So like for in my case, all of my all of my server side applications that are related to multimedia in some way are all in their own Docker compose file. And so I go into that directory and if I do a Docker compose poll, it actually ends up date updating like eight applications for me. Nice. With one command. Nice. And they all yeah, they all stay up to date and that way it's and I can separate it out like that. So I think it's handy in that regard. Um, it's also a really nice way to share your setup with people um, or communicate to someone else what your setup is. So, you know, if you were to show me your Docker Compose file, I'd pretty much understand exactly how you have it set up, even if I never saw the command you used right. to launch it. So that kind of thing. So one of the questions I have, I guess I have two questions. One of them is, what should I run next? And the other question is, is Docker the thing to be learning right now, or do we have other technologies that mm. maybe... Yeah, I think so. No, I think Docker's probably the most the most prominent. I mean, there's Podman, but you know, you look at like this Bitcoin node thing I was doing, the entire thing is written assuming you're using Docker. Yeah. It just That seems like the case, isn't it? Yeah. Uh Minimac has a jellyfin solution. Tell us about it. Well, I'm working on that solution. Oh, yeah. Um as some of you know, I have a second residence and I have an Android TV there. And I was looking for solutions to have access to all my library via Jellyfin on that Android TV. But all of a sudden I thought to myself, maybe I don't want all the other people visiting that second residence having access to all my library. So my solution would be Chromecast. So having a Jellyfin instance on my phone and just Chromecast my library to the TV so I can take my phone whenever I go. I can go to a friend if he has an Android-capable a Chromecast-capable device, I can just stream my library to their TV. And they're very good. So I have everything I want, and I can decide if people have access to the library or not. You know, that would be great for hotel rooms. I had to stay in a hotel room mm-hmm. on my way here, and mm-hmm. I quickly got reminded how awful cable TV is. Oh, boy, it's so bad. Yeah, that's actually why I own an Amazon Fire Stick. Um, because the Amazon Fire Stick is one of the few portable set-top TV boxes that, A, you can install a Plex or Jellyfin app on, and, B, supports Wi-Fi hotel captures. Very nice. you got to have a device Very that bring nice. up, like, an embedded Firefox. Yeah, of course. And most of the TV set-top box things do not. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Pie Crash, you had uh, a note on LibreSpeed. That could be a great app for rent to try out. You're right. 
Yes, so if you got liver speed, you could actually set, okay, test your connection between your, your house and your brother's house. And now you know, okay, my, the connection is failing between myself and my brother's house, or the connection is failing with the internet with fast.com or something like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. That does sound like a great idea. I've always wanted a little bit of a history to see what the bottleneck is mm-hmm. or who I can yell at next. You and know? there is a, uh, I believe, a Linux server image, so it's really easy to get up and going. No flash required, just a lightweight speed test in JavaScript. This is the first time I hear about this. Well, oh, yeah. Uh, we've mentioned it on self right. I should pay more attention. It has come up, but uh, it's probably just been a quick mention. It's a simple app, I think, but I do think that's a great one for you to try. Nice. I'm writing that down. Libre speed. And it's another one of those nice standalone applications. You know, that's, it's good to, they, so when you go look at, uh, when you go say like at Linux server IO and you look at their Docker hub pages, they'll have the Docker compose file there that they, they recommend. If you read through it, you'll see like, oh, I just changed this to my time zone. I changed this to my paths. And then it's just a, it's just a matter of you, you make a file called docker composeyml and it needs to be formatted exactly like they'll have it on the Linux server page. And then you can just do Docker Compose up, and it'll start up the container for you. Well, that's what I – so I did explore this, mm-hmm. and I tried getting that up and running and making sure everything was cool. But I, I actually had a hard time getting the Docker Compose uh, command to even work. Mm. There were some dependencies or something yeah. going on that okay. so or may permissions not have been or something. Yeah. It doesn't install with the standard Docker package. Yeah, which I realized. It's just with, so dumb. It will in the future. That is a thing that's changing. How is that not a thing yet? They decided to, they hadn't decided to make it part of the official Docker command line tools, but they have now. So now it's going to be Docker space compose instead of Docker dash compose. So you may also be hit by that transition depending on when it lands in your distro. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, I'll look more into it, but I I, I don't know. It seemed like it should have been a little bit easier considering how useful it is. Well, I'm still glad you got it going. Well, yeah. It's a whole adventure. Yeah, it is. We could work on it some more while we're here. I'm deploying apps right now on our new server. Well, that's Podman. Whoop, whoop. And how's that going? Slow, but good. (laughs) Slow. Not great, but good. All right. Well, Mumble Room, it's time for me to go eat. It is that time. Thank you for joining us, though. Both virtual lugs. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, it was cool hearing that conversation go between both of them. That yeah. was really fun. Thanks for joining us for uh, Linux Sunday on a Tuesday. <laughs> we uh, we will uh, see you on Sunday, and we'll see you again next Tuesday, too. That's how we do it. Thank you. Yep. Come back right here, either Mumble Room or Jitsi. We had them both running today. Worked out pretty good. Yeah, great hearing some familiar voices. Yep. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye, Thank everyone. you. Bye-bye, Chris. Bye now. Bye. Goodbye. See you. Bye. Goodbye. 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 Also, thank you for all of you watching live, those in the chat room. Have a great rest of your day. See you next Sunday. Mm-hmm.